We are speaking about the impact of machine learning on business. And Neil Bushri, our guest today, is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. Anil is the co-founder and the CEO of Workday. Workday was started back in 2005 around the idea of bringing enterprise applications to the cloud, in particular uh, HR and finance, and not the point systems, but actually the core systems of record around HR and finance. And uh, in particular, we focused in on the needs of the largest companies in the world because my co-founder, Dave Duffield and I had a, a background at PeopleSoft where that's the market we knew. So while it seems pretty straightforward today, back in 2005, it was not so straightforward to think about serving the largest companies in the world with this new, this new cloud model. And we built the company around a core set of values uh, that, that remain intact today, starting out with employees uh, being number one. And our very simple view is happy employees lead to happy customers. Customers, obviously very important to us. Integrity, we try to do business the right way. Fun, uh, we like to have fun. We tell people if you don't want to have fun, go work for a competitor. Uh, we, we, we like to uh, innovate. That's, that's what Workday stands for. And then lastly, profitability. And, and really, uh, that's not really necessarily the biggest uh, core value or the most important, but it pays for everything else. And, you know, we set about to do that in 2005 around those core values and around that strategy. And uh, the strategy has expanded to include planning now and, and, and analytics and, and spend management. But that core of HR and finance in the cloud is still really what, what got us going. I remember as you were after you started the company and just getting things going, I remember thinking at the time, what an incredibly audacious goal it was at that time to build the complexity of financials and HCM f at the scale that you do for these very large customers in the cloud. You know, I guess we didn't think about it as audacious. Maybe in hindsight, it looked that way. But, you know, entrepreneurs are optimistic and Dave and I are optimists. What we saw were, was the, this uh, trend that the legacy systems were increasingly breaking down for, their, for, for our customers while we're at PeopleSoft. Uh, customers were having a hard time with upgrades. The user experience wasn't great. And at the time, there was this uh, emerging company, Salesforce.com, which is obviously now a giant, pioneering this new model. And we thought, hey, that, that is the, that's the model of the future. And someone needs to apply it to ERP. Why not us? Anil, at Workday Rising, one of the key themes that you spoke about was machine learning. Why, why is that such an important topic for you? I think it's the next uh, frontier for enterprise applications. And at the end of the day, we're, we're in business to help our customers run their businesses and their organizations better and smarter. And if the last... 15 years of the cloud have been about moving business processes from on-premise to the cloud and making it easier and friendlier and better analytics. I think the next 15 years is uh, about using your data to make better business decisions. And machine learning is really the, the uh, cornerstone set of technologies that help you understand your data, find uh, insight in your data, and help you make better business decisions that uh, will hopefully lead to better business results. So is the key then focusing on, t on taking the data and figuring out how you can run, make better decisions? I mean, is that ultimately the point? 
There's a great book written by three professors uh, from University uh, of Toronto, and one of our speakers last week was uh, uh, Professor Ajay Agrawal from the University of Toronto. They wrote this great book, Prediction Machines, and I think that book spells out really well the power of machine learning. Machine, I don't think machine learning is about replacing humans. I really, I really believe that it's, it's more about a, a very positive relationship between machines and humans. Machines are really good at sifting through massive amounts of data and looking for patterns and looking for insight. And then humans apply judgment, which machines don't have. So you have a better prediction applied with human judgment should lead to a better outcome. I think it's, it's kind of that, that straightforward. Uh, and really what it's about for a company is organizing all their data and looking for insights that could be, uh, that could be predicting what might happen from a business event. It could be anomaly detection. It could be intelligent automation, three different categories of machine learning that will all make your business better or your organization's uh, decision-making better. So one of the areas where we've used, uh, uh, used machine learning is all, the, all around uh, career succession planning, where the machine can look through massive amounts of data because of all the computing power that's available today look at people that have had successful careers at the company, and for you as the employee saying, based on all that data that we've looked at, that would take a human probably years, if not decades, to sort through all that data. They can do it in seconds. The machines can do it in seconds. Predict the next, the next logical step for you in your career, and then make that recommendation to you. And as a human, you can say, yeah, I want to take that next step with my career. I want to do something different. But that's the power of machine learning where it, it sifts through massive amounts of data in a short amount of time to make a prediction that you can, that you can take action on. That really is not, is not possible uh, without the, the computing power that's available today. It wasn't even possible just four or five years ago. Anil, you've just boiled down this complexity to what is essentially a software feature, a very valuable software feature but press a button and it gives a result. Can you, as somebody who's developing these products, can you kind of expose a little bit for us what goes on behind the scenes in order to enable this relatively simple concept that you've just described? It's a lot of complicated software technology, but at the highest level, it's about algorithms that are learning, that you're not programming them for a specific out outcome, you're having them learn from the data, and over time, uh, you're training the algorithms to make better and better prediction. So the more data you have, the more you train that algorithm. So if the algorithm is predicting the next step in, in a career for an individual, if you've, got, if you've got X amount of data, you'll get a certain prediction. If you've got 10X, I can guarantee you're gonna get a better, a better prediction. So really it is about a series of algorithms. Uh, they're, they're available on the internet uh, today through through Google and Amazon and Microsoft, uh, and you know with the the one that's really well known is Google TensorFlow, where you could use these algorithms, apply data against it. The algorithms will train itself to make to make better and better uh, insight. So the value then is not so much, or the differentiation is not so much in the algorithms, but rather in the data that's being applied. The data and also knowing how to interpret the results. So in our, in our case, uh, you know, the data is around HR and, and financial data. Being able to know what questions that you might want to have answered and to know what the results might look like, that's really power. So, that, so 
for us, we're very focused on the machine learning uh, solutions to be basically application and context aware. And what is what does that mean? Application and context aware for at Workday. It knows the domain, right? The the the. Well, I mean, we know the domain to know what questions we're looking to possibly get insight into. The algorithms themselves are fairly standardized across multiple disciplines, but we have to apply our knowledge of HR and finance to know, hey, we're looking for something around around career succession. We're looking at something around retention. We're looking around something for uh, faster audits. We're looking for anomaly detection in you know, in the in the posting process and, and auditing process for your financial systems, all those kinds of things. We know what we're looking for, and so we're training the algorithm to give us insight into a specific business process or business outcome that we're looking for. And Neil, how do you decide where to apply machine learning? Your software is so covers so much ground. So how do you make those decisions? It's at the intersection of where we can create business value for our customers. There's a lot of predictions that probably can be made, uh, but they might not be valuable. So it has to be something that's valuable from a business perspective, coupled with uh, an ethical framework to make sure that we're doing it in in a way that is ethical in the way that the data is being used. And, and we recognize it's not our data, it's the customer's data. So we have a, a joint understanding of, of, of what the ethics are around uh, the use of, of data from the customers, maybe it's it's personal data of their of their employees. It might be financial data, but that that ethical context is really important in the worlds of machine learning and artificial intelligence. You know, obviously the the confidentiality of the data is is pretty clear. But what is it about machine learning that creates this set of ethical issues that are important for you that you feel are very important that you, to to address and manage? So say we're making predictions around uh, people and their and their roles or, you know, whether it's career or whether it's uh, retention. First of all, the people should know their data is being used that way. Uh, so, so I think transparency is a big part of, of the right ethical framework. And then I think the second piece is opt-in. If an employee or, or someone who's being tracked in the system doesn't want to have their data being used for machine learning purposes, they should be able to opt out. And so... Uh, and so actually forcing an opt-in is, is even more powerful than an opt-out. Uh, you know, opt-out, you have to go to work to opt-out. Uh, and in an opt-in, you proactively say, I want my data to be used for, uh, for these machine learning purposes because I trust what the organization is doing with that data. So it's all built around trust and transparency. And so from our view, it has to be opt-in and you have to be transparent with the employees how their data is being used. This issue of trust is really important, and can you can you contrast at all uh, the, the nature of trust when you're talking about machine learning and this type of data versus trust and confidence in you as a company outside the machine learning domain? So, I mean, what happens that's unique? I think they go hand in hand. Uh, I think our customers trust us to be good stewards of their data. And now it transcends into, as they do their analysis on their data, we're gonna we're gonna continue that that focus on integrity, that focus on ethical framework, and we're frankly also gonna help them sort it through because everybody who is doing machine learning on behalf of their companies, and I think every company in the world should be using machine learning at some level, or the, all the or they will be left in the dust at some level, um, as part of 
this endeavor of around machine learning, they've got to develop an ethical framework. You, and, and so I'd recommend every company have a, a chief ethics officer that helps them sort through these, these challenging questions. So I, I, think, I think it transcends the way we've worked historically with the customers around machine learning is really going to be no different. But I think we're jointly going to have to, to discover the right way to, to deal with it in a really ethical way because it is a new, it's really a new domain for everybody. Is that because of the, the quantity and the type of data that you're now aggregating that in the past you didn't? We've always aggregated it uh, um, and we've always considered it our, our customers' data, uh, but it was much more around automation, uh, you know, uh, making a business process more efficient, uh, pr producing better analytics. It wasn't about making predictions on that data. And so now I think we're now in a place with personal data in particular where we have to be very careful. And as we've seen on the consumer internet, you know, they haven't all been perfect with uh, the, the data, the data protection and privacy issues of their of their consumers, and I think you you see how they're paying the price. We're not going to get anywhere close to that line, so we, we've got to just do it the right way. But yeah, I think the big the biggest change is we've aggregated data in the past, but not for this not for this purpose. You're very thinking very strategically and carefully about precisely where you draw those lines. Yes, exactly. We have both uh, really strong experts in, in privacy and data security. And now we've also got a, a chief ethics officer that, that helps us make sure that across the company, we're doing it in the right way. There's this whole new layer of this, this trust and transparency. Recognizing that we are a data steward, right? We're not the data that our customers store on their workday systems, it's their data. Uh, we're not looking to uh, make money from selling the data. That's not the business we're in. We're looking to help our customers gain value out of their data and gain insight of, out of their data. So it's much more of a uh, of a of a partnership and uh, and a, in some ways a research project to say what 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 are you looking for to make your business better? And let's go see if we can use machine learning to to help you get some insight into how your business has been performing and where you want it to go. And and maybe we can be helpful with with some of these machine learning, learning algorithms to help make some of those predictions. And you said a few minutes ago that in the future, every company must embrace machine learning. And you didn't, I don't think you said to survive, but, but essentially to, to thrive in the future. I think so. If a company is using machine learning as an example for intelligent, uh, intelligent automation or, or speeding up the process of a financial audit, and the other company is not. That other company is going to be disadvantaged. If one company is using machine learning to get a better handle on the talent they have, maybe they're looking at the the inventory of skills they have in the company and, and looking for the shortages that they might have as a company in 12 months or 18 months, and another company is not, well, the one company that is doing it is going to have a huge advantage. Case by case, if you're using it, it's going to lead to better better business outcomes because again, these, these uh, machine learning algorithms are all about predictions and humans applying judgment against their predictions. If the pred prediction's better, the judgment's more valuable, it'll lead to a better business decision, which will lead to a better business result. I think it's really that, that straightforward. And if you're not using these technologies, you're gonna be flying blind. Where if you, if you look at the history of analytics, while people have talked about predictive analytics over the last 20 years, as you know, most of it was really trying to look at look at the past and use that as a way 
to guess at the future, the new kind of machine learning algorithms really will give you a view into what is going to happen with your business with a high degree of confidence if the data sets are right. And so it really is predictive. And if you have that predictive engine and your competitor doesn't, I mean, I'd bet on the one that does have it. I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, you're going through the Workday suite and trying to identify where are those points that you can apply machine learning uh, based on the criteria, as you said, of what will provide the most value for your customer. Is that what, is, are you doing that, dissecting in that way? Absolutely. And we're, and we're testing it out with our customers. We're, we're making sure that when we come up with a use case, we then check with our you know, our customers who are, who are really using machine learning and say, does this, would this use case be valuable for you? And so there's, there's quite a bit of iteration with the machine learning uh, discipline. You want to figure out if you have the right data and are you solving the right problem? And so you're constantly looking for that combination. It's the right data. Do you you need a lot of data? And then you have the right business problem to solve. You get those three things together. It can be really powerful, but it all it isn't always obvious how to get the right three things together. And the only way to do it is with a lot of customer interaction. What about confidence in the result? Because I don't have any way of knowing how did that, how did we arrive at, how did you arrive at that answer? And can I trust and have confidence in that result? That's part of being transparent of, about how we're running the algorithms and what data sets we're looking at. But it's also, um, you know, it's also, I take the, anal- take the analogy of weather. We do trust weather reports now. And, and if you look over the last 20 years, they've become increasingly more accurate, where today the Weather Channel will tell you, it's going to start raining at 8.07 a.m. And it starts raining right at 8.07 a.m. 20 years ago, it was a guess. Today, these technologies, because they're so good, uh, are, are very predictive. And those are, those are machine learning technologies that are predicting weather. And, you know, I think, I think as people see the results actually pan out, they'll gain more confidence in the, in the algorithms. But I also think that in all the predictions, there'll be a confidence level associated with it. So it might be we're 90% confident. With 90% confidence, we think this is happening in your business. It's, it's always hard to get to 100% confidence level. Uh, and even when you look at the weather forecast, it'll tell you 50% chance of rain at 10 o'clock and 90% chances. Very, very few times it's say 100%, but when it is 100%, it's almost, it almost always is raining. So I, I do think there's a level of, you're going to have to look at the result and you have to look at the, at the, uh, at the, at the level of confidence around that result too. And that, that is a part of the machine learning process. You're targeting, or, or I should say your customers are very often chief financial officers and chief human resource officers. Where are they, would you say, just in general, in terms of uh, adopting these types of technologies and being comfortable with it? Everybody's becoming a technology company. You, you can't just say you're going to leave technology off to the side. So every company, even if they're, if they're in retail, they're, getting, they're becoming a technology company. If they're in distribution, they're becoming a technology company. Technology is impacting everybody. So I'd say first and foremost, that, that trend is happening across all businesses, all organizations. And that's leading to actually, frankly, to finance organizations and, and HR organizations that are much more data aware and data centric than maybe they were 20 years ago. In almost all the cases, when you go in and talk to a potential customer or a customer about using machine learning, they're already doing it somewhere in their business. They might not be doing it yet in HR and finance, but they're doing it somewhere in their business. If they're an insurance company, they're definitely using machine learning in their in their claims process uh, claims processing world to, 
you know, to improve on the actuarial uh, tables that they've had for, for decades. If you're in the uh, oil and gas world, you're using it to do better predictions on where you might, you might find uh, natural gas. If you're in the, uh, you know, you're in the media world, like a Netflix, they've been using machine learning to predict what show you're going to want to watch next for, you know, the last decade. So it's already working, it's already being used somewhere within the organization. So what you find is IT is already on top of the technology and HR and finance are, um, are ready and, and they have proof points about how it's valuable already to the, usually to the core part of the business. And now we're bringing that technology to HR and finance and spend and, and you know, planning and analytics, all the areas that Workday is involved with. So there is a growing understanding of the, the role of machine learning and especially the role of data. Yes, there is probably a, uh, a CTO or uh, a CIO or a chief data officer somewhere in almost every company that's already down that path, and it's extending, it's extending it to the worlds that, you know, that Workday's focused on. I would say what I've, what I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by is how much on top of this, this new world the CEOs are. Uh, they understand the power of data, and in particular to whatever their their core line of business is, and they're trying to use machine learning there. And so, when you have the conversation with them about machine learning for HR and finance and spend, uh, they totally get it. Is it forcing these these CEOs to become technologists? I don't know about technologists, but technology literate and knowing what they need on their teams in terms of technology expertise. Why do we have so much fear out there that? When it comes to machine learning, the robots are going to take our jobs. As you know, we've got a big investment in this program at Workday called Opportunity OnRamps, where we take veterans, we take caregivers who have been out of the workforce for a long time, we take young adults who may, might be underserved or, or not have the opportunities that they should have, and we try to train them on the modern technologies and they can find roles that are that are part of the the tech world rather rather than uh, rather than not. Does machine learning make things easier for your customers or create complexity? It definitely creates complexity, but I think at the end, you know, we're all we're all trying to be better in our in our organizations. We're trying to be smarter, we're trying to be more efficient, and machine learning definitely pushes us further. Where cloud cloud got us to a place where our business processes could now keep up with this, this ever-changing world where legacy systems got stuck in mud, cloud, you know, we come out with an update every six months. We're keeping up with all the modern business requirements, all the new legislation, all the changes that are happening. The cloud gets you there. The cloud also captures all your data uh, in a way that's, that's really usable to get at this insight. And so now you have all this data. Why not try to gain insight into it? So um, that's why I think this machine learning uh, movement is really the, the biggest thing that's happened since the cloud. And it, it might make our customers' lives more complex to deal with the data, but in the end, I think it makes it easier to make good business decisions. Because that you've, well, we're all trying to make business decisions based on the best, the best analysis that we can get and the best data that we have. Well, machine learning gives you the best analysis and the best data. Uh, you know, that, that's what it's for there. Obviously, it creates complexity for you as a software developer, but you're encapsulating it so that it's presumably really simple for the customers. We're actually trying to simplify it for our customers, but it is a new, dis it is a new discipline, right? If the last 20 years were about uh, 
coming out of college with a computer science degree because that was the place to be. You know, the world still needs a lot more computer scientists, but we now need a lot of applied math majors who can turn into uh, data scientists. And uh, it's a new muscle for, for all of our customers to not just be about automating their business processes, but, but, but actually getting value out of their data. And uh, this, this whole decision science world is exploding. And, uh, you know, if I was coming out of college today, I don't know, I might I came out with an engineering background. I'm, I might be more focused on, on applied math. We have some questions from Twitter. Zachary Jeans is asking, did you learn or observe anything particular at Workday Rising that inspired you about the future? I'd say a couple things. Talking to our customers is always, is always inspiring because uh, they, they give you great insight and hope that what we're working on really does matter. It's making their lives better. They also give us input on how we could do better uh, in general. Hopefully you, f- you felt our customers were happy, 97% customer satisfaction. So that's, that's really meaningful for us. Of all the speakers we had, I found Lin-Manuel Miranda to be incredibly inspirational. And his, his message of inclusion, his message of creativity, uh, he said something I thought was really powerful. He was asked by the interviewer, Soledad O'Brien, why is it that so much of your work is timeless? And he said, I never think about trying to create timeless work. I focus on what I love and I try to do it with integrity and honesty. And I believe if you do it that way, what you work on has a, has a chance to be timeless. I found that very inspirational. I found him to be very inspirational. We have a few other questions from Twitter. When companies are looking for opportunities with machine learning, how do you avoid uh, doing a machine learning project just for the sake of machine learning that does not necessarily deliver the business value? You walk through with, with the executives what problems they're trying to solve. And, and I do think it, it comes down to let, let's take a step back and, and figure out what problem are you trying to solve? Are you trying to solve a product quality issue? Are you trying to solve a, a geographic revenue issue? Are you trying to solve a talent issue? And then you work your way back to the data that you might have and, and how we might use machine learning to solve it. So you always have to start with what, what business problems are you trying to solve? So from that standpoint, it's it's no different than applying any other technology, being clear about what are you trying to do. Exactly, exactly. In some ways, machine learning is this new shiny object. And with any new technology, there's always the risk of getting caught up with that rather than the business value. Exactly. Although I, I do think there's value in experimenting with, in different areas because it is such a new area. You might actually find value in an area that might might not make intuitive sense and uh, and you know so there there is a value in experimentation and and uh, uh, and iteration as long as you stand by the uh, the, the ethics rules and and don't and don't get um, you know don't get into a gray area there because I think the ethics area is actually pretty black and white. What is the black and white? Can you define that? I always think about the you know the Wall Street Journal test. If it was written up in the Wall Street Journal that you're using data this way. How would people react? And and I think that's usually a, a pretty good test. And so that's why, if there's a line between right and wrong, we don't even want to get anywhere near that that line. We want to stay clearly on the right side of using artificial intelligence in a good way. And and as and as you know, Michael, I've always talked about technology as being neutral to to good or bad. Right? You can use technology for good purposes. You can use it for bad purposes. You can just see that with 
the security hackers versus the great companies that are building great security products. You have people using similar technologies on, on both sides of the spectrum. And I think it's important as a, a vendor that we are just clearly on the side of, of using technology for good. Well, that's a very clear statement. We have another question from Twitter and Arsalan Khan asks, he says, do you think the role of enterprise architects diminishes or is enhanced by using machine learning and AI to gain operational excellence? Absolutely enhanced. I mean, a big part of, to me, what an enterprise architect needs to do is, is understand the enterprise and understand all the data sources and figure out you know, where machine learning can be applied. So I think it's, it's even more critical in a world of disparate systems for someone to have an overarching view of how all these systems come together and, frankly, how all the data comes together. Let's talk about employee relationships. It goes back to our founding principles, and I have to give my co-founder, uh, Dave Duffield, a lot of credit. He pioneered this employee-centric, employee-first culture at PeopleSoft, and we really brought it forward to Workday. And the basic, the basic premise is that you can talk about customers being number one, but if your employees are, are unhappy, it's really hard for unhappy people to make customers happy. So if you start with happy employees, you empower them, you give them all the right tools, you, you motivate them, you, uh, you educate them along the way into in new disciplines, it's amazing what they can do. And um, our simple view is happy employees lead to happy customers, and it's, it's paid off, right? We're, we're number four this past year on Great Place to Work uh, survey on, in, in Fortune magazine as a great place to work for employees. What I'm proud of is we're, we were a great place to work across lots of categories, women, millennials, uh, uh, diverse backgrounds. Uh, so across uh, working, working parents, we, we, we are, we're, we're really a, a company built around uh, inclusion and diversity. Uh, you take those empowered and happy employees and you say your number one job is making customers happy, well, that very happy base led to a uh, very happy base of employees led to us having a 97% customer satisfaction level. Maybe there are other ways to do it, but this way definitely works for us. And it's worked for us across two companies. And it also leads to, uh, you know, there are a lot of business benefits too. Our turnover is much lower than our major competitors. Our, uh, our, our uh, ability to recruit is higher because we're viewed as a great place to work. There's just lots of benefits as a result of, of, of being a great place to work. How do you do it? Is there a, a formula or there, is there a specific set of steps? What's the secret to doing that? The first thing is when you hire people, make sure that they fit, fit your value system. And so uh, I think you know the first 500 people that were hired at Workday, Dave and I interviewed all of them. And we didn't interview them for their skills. We assumed the managers got that right. We interviewed them uh, to make sure that they, they fit our values. And uh, so that, that's where you, where you start. For managers in, predict, in particular, we, we have uh, intensive manager training, both uh, once a year uh, summits, the People Leadership Summit, where we walk through how you manage at Workday, how you manage with compassion, how you manage uh, by being a good listener and being empathetic. Uh, how do you deal with conflict? All the ways that, that are unique to our, our culture and our value system, we try to teach managers how, how to do that. Um, and then an ongoing pro program called Ignition, where you're learning along the way about 
not just being better at whatever your discipline is, marketing or engineering, but also how do you become a better manager and leader? Because my, my simple commitment to our individual contributors who do the, the bulk of the real work, they deserve a good manager. And so that, that's a big part of how we make it all work is that we invest heavily in, in manager training and making sure we're hiring the right people. Have you experienced bumps in the road or as you observe other companies, are there common challenges or what are the common challenges that companies tend to face when they have this as an aspiration, but, but they try to execute on it? It's challenging during rapid growth. And, you know, we're now almost 12,000 employees and a few years ago, we were just a couple thousand. So we've onboarded a lot of employees the last, the last few years and we've definitely had bumps along the way. Uh, one of the bumps was uh, um, a drop in some of our, our rankings. And as we dug into it, we recognized that while in the, in the previous two years, half the employees were new, half the managers were also new. And if they were coming from companies outside of Workday, they didn't always manage in a, in a, workday, in a workday way with the values and, and focus that we do. So that was the... That was the um, impetus for creating the People Leadership Summit that our, uh, our HR leaders, Ashley Goldsmith and, and, Greg, Pine, and Greg Pryor, really pioneered. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's worked out really well. So you just got to pay attention. Back to machine learning, you got to pay attention to the data. And the data was saying that we were, we were uh, drifting on, on uh, the experience of our employees. And so we're always looking at that data. We do a pulse survey using the Workday system every Every week, we ask two different questions of our employees to get a pulse of, of how they're feeling about uh, the work, and it drives employee engagement. It drives the data to help us make sure we're doing all the right things. Leadership of the company has to care about it and being be willing to invest, and that's pretty unusual. And people pay lip service to it, but in practice, I don't I don't see it all that much. I think it might have been unusual, and I give Dave all the credit in the world, he pioneered this way back when it wasn't fashionable to be a great place to work. And today, though, when I sit down with our customers, they all want to be great places to work because we're in a, we're in a challenge, challenging time to hire the best and brightest and keep the best and brightest. And so everybody's focused on being a great place to work. And actually, uh, you know, we, we partner up with Michael Bush from the Great Place to Work Institute, and we try to, we try to go into companies and show what can be done with the Workday software in the HR space. And then Michael has the data to basically give you a blueprint about what you need to do to be a great place to work. And I think, um, you know, we, we are trying to be a great place to work at Workday, and I think we're, we've done very well. Our customers are now asking us how we can help them be, be that too. And it's causing us to get more into the realm of understanding the data about what it, what it means to be a great place to work. How do you decide where to draw the line in terms of investment? Because the more that you, obviously you, you spend money, you spend resources on employee engagement, employee happiness, but there's a cost. That money is coming from someplace else. I don't know if there's a cost because if, if, the, if the result is you get the best and brightest people to join your company and you have lower turnover, maybe, maybe it, it nets out. And, you know, the the cost of turnover is much higher than, than most people pay attention to. There have been studies along, along those lines for years. Turnover is really expensive. You have somebody in the company who's been with you for two years, now adding real value, and they leave. That really hurts, because uh, then you have to replace that individual with somebody who's starting from scratch again. So 
turnover is really, really painful and really expensive, both in hard dollars, but also in in the knowledge that walks out the door. And I think by creating the the environment around the values and, and culture that we have, we ha- we have lower turnover. What advice do you have for for companies who are listening and they they want to have that higher level of employee engagement and employee happiness? Just how could summarize everything you know on the topic? First and foremost thing is to is to uh, survey your employees and for the employees to believe that those surveys are actually going to be acted upon. And uh, and I think it's really important that those surveys are largely done anonymously. You, you don't really get great feedback if they're not anonymous. And you can't just do it once a year. You got to do it consistently. And, and that feature is in the Workday product, the the Pulse surveys. So that's number one. Number two, it's creating um, transparency and and communication channels that everybody in the company feels like they're part of a, you know part of a bigger mission and. You know, transparency in, in many ways is at odds with all the all the the rules uh, of being a public company. And you know, I I take the risk of leaks because I think the the, the risk of not being transparent is way more costly. Uh, and so maybe not around financial information on a quarterly basis. That is something that we we're transparent with after the quarter's announced. But pretty much everything else, we try to be. Transparent and open, and and uh, and I think that goes to a great length for the employees to feel like they're engaged and, and part of building something more important. And then I think it's having a, a reward system that rewards your core values. So if you have a set of core values, but there's no reinforcement of those core values, they're really not that valuable. We talk about our core values as an example. We we have innovation as a core value. Every quarterly meeting. We reward uh, the innovator of you know innovator of the year, so, uh, innovator of the year award, and we have we have uh, a number of those, and it's not just engineering; it's across all dis- disciplines. So people see, hey, if you do something innovative, you'll get rewarded. We have the the team awards every quarter, and it it uh, it emphasizes teams that are across the company, not just in one function, and it creates a, a behavior. So. Whatever you pick as your values, make sure that you have uh, ways to recognize the values and, and reinforce re- reinforce them. And in the case of uh, situations where somebody who might be really talented is not living up to the values, you have to take action. You know, I mean, we we had we've had um, in the past we had a very talented salesperson join us. And we we're very clear: don't bring any data from your previous employer. Well, this individual did. We took action immediately. Because if you don't, then then what, why do you have core values? So ultimately, you have skin in the game when it comes to employee happiness and employee engagement and adhering to your values. Yep. And finally, my my last question is back to the machine learning topic. What advice do you have for business leaders who are looking at machine learning and they want to do more with it? So the first thing I would do is, is read that book, Prediction Machines. I think it's a great great read. It doesn't take a long time. And it's not necessarily about the technology. It's about the business value of better predictions and how how machines and humans have a have a symbiotic relationship going forward. I think it's just a great read. And it and it simplifies a lot of the mumbo jumbo that's uh, that's out there and some of the hype. And I think it's, it's good to get grounded that way. And then I would encourage folks to pick a couple projects to try it out and, and see see the benefits. You know, don't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend go, going all in in all areas at the same time, 
pick a couple areas and and maybe if you're in HR and finance, go figure out where machine learning is being used uh, in other parts of your organization. So if you're again insurance company, uh, we have a lot of insurance companies who are who are both HR and finance customers. Uh, somebody in the in the claims world is is doing machine learning. I guarantee it. We'll go sit down with those with those individuals and and learn about how the technology is being used. So learn about it, take a measured approach, but go forward and do it. Absolutely. We have been speaking with Anil Bushri. He is the co-founder and the CEO of Workday. Anil, thank you so much for being here with us once again. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure. Everybody, before you go, please subscribe on YouTube and hit the little subscribe button at the top of our website and subscribe to our newsletter. We have amazing shows coming up. Check out CXOTalk.com and we will see you again next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.